Yo, what's going on? Leon here. And uh, in this episode, we're talking about doubling your business overnight. And it sounds impossible, but not if you buy your competitor. And even better, buying your competitor for just one pound or one dollar, whatever currency you prefer, uh, and using maybe no money at all. And that sounds impossible as well, but well, not if you know how to make smart deals. And today's guest is Jeremy Harbour, an investor, advisor, serial entrepreneur, and owner of the Harbour Club, in which you learn how to buy and sell businesses, as well as merge with companies and competitors with little or no money upfront. And um, that's what he does. He is an expert in that. And uh, there's different deal structures that you can do to actually make that happen. And um, yeah, he, he does that, uh, the, the events, Harbor Club events, um, because that is actually where a lot of his deal flow is coming from. And it's also started with a company that he ended up uh, buying uh, years ago. And uh, before I yeah take away everything that we talk about here, uh, these are some points that we discussed. So first of all, what business owners like you can do to double their business technically overnight by buying a competitor, merging with a company or partnering up strategically. Uh, how to make your first acquisition without putting any of your money into it. And also he talks about private wealth banking, the secret that the top 0.0000001% know to create massive wealth. So it's actually a really good nugget that he shares here, which is really interesting. That's something I need to look into as well. And um, yeah, how to hire the people that will run the business for you. So all you have to do is advise them and collect the money and have that business up and running and sell it whenever you want to. So Without further ado, let's dive right into it. This is the Collective Ambition Podcast. I would like to start with how you actually got started doing what you're doing now because you're buying and selling businesses. You're an advisor, and investor, but you didn't start out like that. So you actually started with a telecommunications company and it kind of developed itself, right? It happened by accident almost. Yeah, I think, I think like everybody's career, you have a big plan for what you think you're going to do and then where you end up is somewhere completely different. You know, if you asked your 12-year-old self, would you be doing what you're doing right now? They'd, they'd probably, you know, fall off the chair laughing. But, um, but the, yeah, I mean, everybody's path is interesting and varied and, and there's an awful lot of luck and coincidence and hard work and bloodshed that goes along the way. Um, but I, I was, uh, I actually started when I was 14. I was a market trader. I was selling watches and jewelry on a market stall every weekend and, uh, and to anyone that would buy them at school as well. Um, and uh, I actually left school at 15 to pursue... Um, the business of trading. I was trading amusement machines at that time and then I ended up getting an amusement arcade which, which went bust basically. I screwed it up um, and uh, that was also you know, a good, good lesson in humility because I hadn't actually, I think I was about nine, uh, probably 18 or 19 then and actually nothing in, I'd, I'd done in business had, had not worked. I'd always managed to make everything kind of work um, and that's quite unusual in, in my experience because everything in business generally doesn't work first. <laughs> so, um, and then you eventually figure out how to make it work. So it was a really good kick in the nuts. It was a good dose of humility at, at a young age to, you know, kind of lose everything, go, you know, I have to go tail between my legs back to my parents. I'd moved out with my parents when I was 17, you know, uh, cocky and full of myself and uh, then had to kind of crawl back and go, oh, you've got somewhere to stay. Um, so uh, that I think was, uh, was, a, was a healthy thing to do. Uh, but yeah, in terms of where I am now, so I, I started a telecoms company when I was about 19. Um, uh, I started with 50 quid, so I had a choice, like what, uh, what, what was the most important thing to buy, and I bought business cards, um, which I guess you just wouldn't do nowadays, but that was you know, more than 20 years ago, um, and just went out networking and tried to sell people phones, and then when you sell people phones, you have to figure out how you buy the phones and fulfill the orders and, and all of that. Uh, joy, and anyway, that grew into a kind of million pound telecoms company in, in about two to three years of, of startup, um, but was always massively undercapitalized, you know, it was always 
uh, hand-to-mouth bootstraps type of uh, type of business. And then um, telecoms is just really acquisitive. So there are always people trying to buy uh, your business. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of my first education in buying businesses was sitting on the other side of the table, effectively being pitched because this is something I always tell people when I'm talking about this topic is everybody thinks of M&A as kind of a procurement process. You know, it's all about analysis and sucking your teeth and hard negotiation and, you know, walls of advisors in a room, you know, hammering out a deal. It's really not. It's a sales process between two people, the owner and the, uh, you know, the, the vendor and the buyer. Um, so it's just like it's just like selling a watch on that market stall or selling a telephone system um, to a company. You're kind of pitching them on doing a deal. Uh, with you. So, so I was on the receiving end of a lot of those pitches. And um, interestingly, the thing that most of them had in common was that the, the deal structure was really appealing, but didn't involve giving me much money up front. So I kind of just took the view of, look, fuck it, I haven't got any money either. Maybe I should be the buyer instead of the seller. <laughs> and uh, I just went out networking in a, in a different way. So I went out talking about buying businesses instead of talking about buying telephones. Uh, um, and that was a huge education in, in itself. So um, when you walk into a room full of people as an entrepreneur, quite often you're not really an entrepreneur. You're a glorified salesperson that's just trying to get more of your product out there. When you go into the room and you have this kind of strategic conversation about how you want to grow your business by acquisition, everybody takes you way more seriously. Even though I was like a 21-year-old or something like this that probably didn't make a lot of sense, was very green. I was always, I was always too young in the room. You know, people always listen to to the gray-haired dude who'd spent 50 years working in a bank and had no business experience and would ignore me with the 10 years of business experience I had at that time, you know, and, and that was always really, really frustrating. But having that more strategic conversation, which is, look, I'm running a telecoms company, I'm looking to buy other telecoms companies, all of a sudden I thought, fuck, this kid might actually be uh, uh, a little bit serious. He's not just trying to sell me telephones. And, and that opening line, I guess, just going in and talking about something that was not so much... Uh, uh, you know, sales sharky behavior um, opened loads of other doors for me. I ended up doing a deal because of that, but actually all the other, we ended up doing a massive contract with Costco, you know, the big trade warehouse people. And, and we only did that off the back of being able to have that kind of uh, more strategic conversation with the CEO of Costco. If I just pulled, just pulled, pulled up to him and said, how much do you spend on your telephones? It would have been a three minute conversation if I'm lucky. Um, but it turned into a you know, fantastic multi-million pound relationship where we had stores within stores and Costco in the, in the UK. Um, so, um, yeah, what you say in that first, uh, that, the answer to that question, what do you do? Uh, the way you answer that can be pretty powerful. Yeah, definitely. So I, I can definitely imagine that a lot of people didn't take you seriously in the beginning because, yeah, you were 21 and you're talking about buying companies. So that's really young for that in that industry, probably in, in the industry of buying and selling businesses, right? So. What, what, do you, what would you say are the, the skills that are most important for something like that? Because the first thing that pops up in my mind is, oh, you need to be a deal maker. You need to be a persuader. You need to be good at, and you need to enjoy looking at numbers. Um, but I think there's actually a big component of people skills that are way more important. So what do you think is yeah. the most important skill? Or like, what, where do you have to have a passion? What would you have to have to uh, have a passion for in order to do this? Well, sorry. I think being a business geek really helps. One of the things I would say on age is I think um, the current generation probably have a little bit easier than I did because um, so many tech billionaires now are, you know, um, 14. Uh, that, uh, 
it kind of helps like people people aren't so fast to judge and there's also how you dress as well back then if you wanted to be young and taken seriously you kind of had to go suited and booted it was like a kind of minimum requirement you couldn't you know just casual out uh, into a meeting like i prefer to i prefer not to shave and not to have to wear a suit you know um but uh, uh but back then to be taken seriously you really had to kind of out adult the adults um <laughs> in order to uh, in order to be taken seriously so i think you guys have a few advantages and um you know in, in that respect and, and there's a much lower barrier to entry for business now as well it's much easier to get started and, and, and to do stuff but then you know that that brings its own uh, uh, its own challenges i think the great opportunity that you have right now is the fact that you know um owner managed businesses which is what i i deal with um so owner managed businesses tend to be uh, owned and operated by the baby boomer generation and they're dropping like flies or retiring or um, you know, getting back into nappies for the adult variety. Um, so uh, basically, um, uh, you know, there's a huge opportunity to mop up all of those um, uh, businesses that are looking for succession. They're looking for a safe pair of hands. Um, they're not readily sellable businesses. They tend to be in the uh, blue collar kind of areas. So things like engineering businesses and maintenance companies and things like this, but they're, you know, profitable, debt-free, well-run, well-established, loyal uh, client bases. Um, uh, all of that, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So I think, um, I think being young now has some advantages uh, over uh, over back then. But yeah, being taken seriously was was always uh, was always an issue. And and when I look at that first deal that I did, I think um, in a way I was quite lucky to pull it off. Um, but pulling it off was kind of the the social proof I needed that it was possible. Um, and uh, and whenever I'm talking to people about these kind of strategies, I I, I do focus on the importance of breaking your deal virginity, getting that first deal done, because um, it's just really, really important. So back to your question on the skills and the, the attributes, I think uh, because we're dealing with owner managers, it's about building empathy and rapport. Um, I think those are probably bigger skills than finance and legal, um, uh, because effectively, it's positioning yourself as that safe pair of hands for their legacy, for their you know business they spent years building. They don't particularly, they're not going to get a lot of money for these businesses because of the sector they're in and the size they are. Um, so the one thing that you can give them is some legacy and some, you know, uh, keeping some key staff that they want to look after or um, keeping a brand name or something, uh, something like that. Um, so, you know, sometimes those types of things can be infinitely more powerful than, uh, than the, the cash component. Yeah, and it's, uh, that's what you call motivated buyers, right? It's, it's buyers that want to sell not just for the money, but they have other motivations as well that you can yeah, accommodate to get a better deal for both of you. So that's how yeah. that's how you're able to, through different deal structures, get a company for very little money or even sometimes no money upfront at all or just one pound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's finding it's finding the itch and scratching it. So by the way, there's there's there are deals that you buy for a pound. There are businesses that you buy for a pound, um, and they tend to be the distressed end of the the spectrum. So you'll buy a business that needs some turning around or some work doing. Um, the rest of them you buy no money down. Um, uh, there, there might be a pound up front, which is the consideration to create a legal contract with the target that you're acquiring. Because as you know, in a legal contract, you have to have some kind of payment to make it binding. So a pound is just a simple minimum amount. But there's normally something they get out of it in the future, um, whether that's um, some shares when you sell it again, whether it's um, some deferred payment or something else um, uh, later on. Um, but basically, uh, um, you know, a lot of the more solvent deals, the bigger transactions, like, I mean, the last deal I did that was no money down was 92 million in revenue and 10 million of profit. So with 200 staff. So it's not a, not a small business, but I'm buying it no money down. Of course, that doesn't mean they don't get anything. 
Uh, it just means that I don't put any money down up front and neither do I have to raise money or borrow money in order to close um, that kind of transaction. So um, it's about understanding the, the itch and scratching the itch more than it is, um, uh, yeah, raising money or borrowing money to, to do deals. So in that sense, actually the people skills and the, the empathy and knowing what their true motivations are is a more important skill than actually being able to run the numbers. Because you can have someone else that can look at the numbers and is a numbers geek. Because for example, me, I'm not, I'm not a numbers guy, but uh, I think this topic is really interesting. And I, I'm already, I already know at some point I'm going to buy a business. I'm going to acquire something, whether that's for yeah. passive cash flow or wealth building or to merge with my, my company. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of points in that. I mean, one of them is, uh, um, uh, yeah, I think buying is a really sensible thing. Look on the entrepreneurial ladder, you have startup. Now startup is all about customer value. It's all about creating a product somebody wants, making a product that people will pay for and, uh, and, and building that kind of customer value. At some point you have to step away from, uh, customer value and, and move up the entrepreneurial ladder. So, you know, at some point you have to stop with the staff and the customers part of being an entrepreneur and move on to what I call the shareholder value part of being an entrepreneur. Now, this often gets kicked around as working on your business instead of in your business. Um, but it's this transition from being more strategic in the business from being more operational. Now, on, entrepreneurs believe they can do everything and believe that everything relies on them. But in fact, they're often terrible at running businesses. They're great at you know, starting things and creating things. Um, so it's quite a good idea for them to get out of the way at, uh, you know, at some point in a startup and, um, and a good strategic thing to focus on is mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures and exits, you know, how you create shareholder value, how you actually make yourself uh, wealthy. And I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, buying a business for, for passive income. The other, the other thing that I talk about quite a bit is um, the myth of business and passive income because it's never really passive. You need a you know, good global financial crisis. I mean, I've, I've been through a few of them. You've, you've been through one of them, I'm guessing, um, you know, they, they can be quite disruptive to, uh, um, uh, you know, to, to businesses that felt they were cash cows. I mean, I, I had a great example. I had a business. So of the over a hundred deals that I've done, I bought a call center business and I kept it for 10 years because it was a cash cow. Um, and, uh, it had a, um, three year contract with the world's largest insurance company that was spitting off about 250 grand a quarter in cash profit. Um, so from my perspective, that was a keeper. I wasn't going to sell it. And then uh, 2009 came and the, the world's largest insurance company, which was my client, was AIG. And AIG went bust um, and we lost the whole business and the, and the business collapsed. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the reason I didn't sell that business is because it had a three year contract with the world's largest insurance company. And the reason I should have sold that business is because it had a three-year contract with the world's largest insurance company. So if I had sold it, I would have created a capital event. That capital event would be, you know, money in my bank account that could then be deployed in what I would classify as real passive income, assets that generate income while you're, uh, while you're asleep, that don't require tweaks in sales and marketing, don't require staff and customers, you know, and, and um, there's lots of ways to do that. There's things like bonds and high dividend paying stocks and real estate investment trusts and master limited partnerships and things like that, which uh, you can be really well diversified across that can give you a really decent um, income. And that income really does come in while you sleep. It doesn't need any uh, tweaks or changes. And I think um, that's probably the biggest lesson I've taken at my age. I'm now, you know, 45 years old. Um, and uh, um, 
Uh, instead of, I think in my early entrepreneurial years, I wanted to focus on the big exit. Let's get this thing to 50 million or 100 million. And then so I think everyone talks about billions now, but back then it was, let's get to 50 million or 100 million and then sell, you know, have the big one. And I, I kind of equate that to the same uh, kind of mindset people have around retirement, which is let's keep working until I'm too fucking old to be able to do anything and then stop working and try and do everything I've always wanted to do. It's a really dumb idea. And I don't know why anybody thinks that's a good idea. And Tim Ferriss kind of summed it up with his mini retirements, you know, these sabbaticals where he goes off and, uh, uh, and does stuff every three, four years. And I think that's an awesome way to look at retirement. But why not look at wealth in the same way? Why not, instead of focusing on this big, massive, mythical uh, uh, exit, which may or may not happen and may or may not happen in time, why not take multiple small capital events along the journey that create this passive income, liberate you and, uh, financially and, and empower you to go off and have fun and do things? You know, I, I can live in different countries and I can travel first class everywhere and I can buy nice things because I've had all these mini capital events. I'm not stuck in the day job of running a business and dealing with staff and customers um, every day. But I did that quite late in my career. You know, I was empire building before that. I used to buy everything and keep it. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I was just one good financial crisis away from, from uh, uh, becoming a bit more selfish with the capital events and trying to <laughs> make sure that, uh, uh, yeah, you, you kind of line your own nest a little bit along the way. Yeah. So with that crash that's inevitably, inevitably coming at some point, do you believe it's a good time to then buy businesses or even... Hey, all, all the time is a good time to buy businesses. The key thing when you're buying... Uh, a business is to focus on what I call asymmetric risk. So basically cover your downside, make sure, you know, you mentioned how important the numbers are. Yes, the numbers are important, but actually if you protect your downside, the numbers become less important. You can, you can fuck up a bit on a deal if you can't lose money on it. Um, so, you know, when you're setting that tightrope, if you give someone 300 grand, your tightrope is quite high. You lose 300 grand if you fall off it. If you pay someone a dollar, then your tightrope's only a few inches off the ground. So if you fall off it, it's not going to hurt. So you can have a really good run at that tightrope. Um, so, uh, and the upside is, is exponential. The good thing about business deals versus property deals is property's quite um, uh, inelastic in valuation. So it's kind of got a fairly fixed demonstrable price. Whereas business, I can prove a business is worth nothing today and I can prove it's worth millions tomorrow using exactly the same... Uh, numbers and, and, and metrics so it's got so much more it's like a it's like an infinite canvas to paint on when it comes to um, deal structuring and, uh, and and doing stuff so I just love that kind of uh, yeah fluidity that you get with business versus other kind of assets yeah I mean I've I've sold my business last year and I'm sitting on a pile of cash and I don't have cash flow and I, that's a big learning lesson of mine it's cash flow is, well, the, is the massive lesson I have is private wealth banking so um, uh, basically, $3 million and up, you get invited to private wealth banking. So people like Julius Baer, UBS, Credit Suisse, these guys. Um, and, uh, and you can deploy cash with them in quite a safe way that generates a huge amount of income. So across my portfolio at the moment, I probably get about 20% return on my capital as income every year um, in quite a safely deployed way. And the great thing is that if I want to borrow money, um, they will lend me up to 70% of whatever my invested portfolio with them is at 0.7% a year. So to put this in context, I'm in Europe at the moment, and I just bought a Maserati, well, I didn't just, it was about two months ago, bought a Maserati Levante to drive around for the summer, and uh, I'll sell it again in September when I go back to um, Singapore. Um, I calculated the cost of owning that car for the four months that I'm here as 180 euros. Wow. So 
I get a Maserati Levante for four months for 180 euros cost of capital. Um, I bought a 43-foot azimuth yacht on uh, um, using this Lombard uh, facility. Um, I, I basically just offered people half what they were asking for, for yachts and eventually did a deal with someone, not quite at half, but at a deep discount. And then as soon as I bought it, I put it back on the market for sale at the full price. Uh, so it was kind of like... Um, take money for uh, give money to the inpatient and sell it to the patient you know it's like uh, <laughs> that kind of thing so i had this yacht for two years it cost me four grand for two years so oh, half, a million, half a million euro uh, yacht in, in mallorca um and then i sold it for a profit at the end of that period as well um, wow. so, um uh yeah this, this this private wealth banking just opens so many doors you wouldn't believe um exist I'll, i'll be happy to introduce you to my bank manager if you want to have a chat with him um but literally you know that the whole uh conspiracy that the rich get richer and the poor stay poor it's, it's not a conspiracy it's fucking true <laughs> it's, um, literally it's not fair <laughs> what, yeah. uh, what you get offered as a as a rich person versus what you get offered as a uh, yeah a civilian so it's called private wealth banking and you need private wealth least, banking yeah you need at least three million for that yeah so um uh they normally say 10 million um but the reality is you can join with three and uh, and that's us dollars um and uh, the reality is you can join with three and you can kind of build up a you know once you start with three it's you can obviously get to 10 a lot quicker <laughs> so, um, uh, because of the way they they operate so but yeah literally like a million dollars deployed gives you 200 grand a year pretty safely um uh, you know of income um and uh, you can get more than that if you want to be a bit more aggressive but obviously the way markets are at the moment and the way everything is at the moment you probably don't want to be too aggressive with your investments but uh Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. It, it almost sounds like uh, you know, kind of too good to be true. I know, but um, but yeah, I can easily walk you through it. Is that uh, something that's similar to capital warehousing? Uh, I'm not sure what that is actually. I've come across that expression. Yeah, it might be something very similar, but it's also something about yeah, something where you can put your money and you can take it out uh, for yeah, for low rates and um, yeah, I, I'm not too too educated on that but it sounds a bit similar so it might be something to look up as well yeah, i mean the great thing you know private wealth banking it's just not it's just not available to people um they're really really uh strict about getting people on board they're um yeah they're, they're, it's uh it's just they don't advertise what they do they don't talk about what they do in fact i sat down with the ceo of julius bear which is the third largest uh swiss bank um and said you know why do people in you know bank with you and all of the answers he gave me had nothing to do with actually what their kind of usp is the 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 shit that you can do with them that you just can't do with other uh, banks um, is why people bank with them. Um, but interestingly, I took a bunch of my Harbour Club um, delegates to, to the bank and we had a presentation from a few different people at the bank. And they said it's kind of the first time that they've ever given a presentation where they didn't have to have oxygen and wheelchairs. You know, it's normally these <laughs> like super old, super wealthy people tend to be their clients. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, we, we were quite young and dynamic by their standards. Wow, that's really interesting. That's a really good nugget that you shared there. So thanks for that. I'm definitely going to look into that. It sounds really exclusive. So I like that. Not anymore after this podcast. So Well, no, I, I tell people about it all the time. And uh, yeah, particularly um, in the UK, because in the UK, everybody just goes to property. Um, I've made some money, I'll buy another house or I'll buy another apartment. I'll buy another. And so you end up with a, you know, a, an investment portfolio that's like 90% property, which is, you know, huge exposure to one asset class. Um, it's an asset class that has, you know, pretty consistent habit of diving every so often when you least expect it. Um, and, uh, and people tend to be quite over leveraged in that asset as well. So they tend to borrow quite a bit of money in order to do those 
deals. So um, yeah, it can be quite a toxic, uh, quite a toxic mix. So it's always good to have it as part of your portfolio, but not to the kind of extent that people in the UK seem to do. Interesting. Definitely something to look into. And um, this all sounds what you do, buying and selling businesses, looking at a lot of deals. It sounds like a, a full-time thing. So it's not something that you could do on the side if you currently have a business. I mean, that's where... Yeah, you, well, if you currently have a business, look, the best way to grow your business is through acquisition. The, fir the first thing you need to do is make yourself non-executive in your own business. So you need to find somebody that's going to run the business on a day-to-day -day basis. And my solution to everything in life, whatever it is, is to buy a company. So I would say the best way to succession plan, if you want somebody that's good at running a business that looks like yours, find someone that's running a business that looks like yours and buy them or merge with them. So you get them running the two businesses together. You can then become non-executive. You can move to shareholder value and you can concentrate on growing your business either by acquisition or finding a buyer for the whole thing and you sell it with that guy running it um, <laughs> so, uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the eventual person who have that capital event that then uh, liberates you. So yeah, you, if you have a business, you should, you should be looking at M&A as a, as a way to grow your business or as a way to succession plan for sure. Um, uh, actually buying businesses, I would say from a work perspective, it's feast and famine. Um, so you, you can be, there, there's certain habits that you have to have all the time ongoing, which would generate your inbound inquiries and the people that, uh, you know, you, you can do deals with, I guess, you know, I, I likened the purchase process to a sales process or the sourcing is kind of like marketing. So um, if you consider it like marketing activity you would do in a business, you don't spend all day marketing, but you know, maybe half an hour to an hour a day or half an hour to an hour a week dedicated to uh, some kind of marketing activity will generate those inbound inquiries that you can then uh, deal with. And basically what you'll find is that you kiss a whole bunch of frogs and then all of a sudden you get kind of uh, a live one and, um, uh, and then you're super fucking busy for a while. <laughs> it's, um, uh, so basically, it's uh, yeah, it's feast or famine. You you kind of you have a lot of time on your hands. You get pretty, it can it can get pretty boring sometimes. Um, but uh, but when you do deals, it's you know six and seven figure uh, outcomes, um, and uh, yeah, so they're, they're they're kind of life changing. And and being a business geek really helps. Just being genuine, genuinely fascinated by business and how it works and how people make money and how uh, they solve certain problems I think is is a really useful trait to have because then you are just genuinely interested when somebody's explaining their business uh, to you. Um, and so you're not focused on the deal, you're actually just passionate about business and you want to know how it all works. Um, so, yeah. yeah, and having started with 14, selling, um, what were you selling again when you were 14? Watches and jewelry, yeah. Yeah, jewelry, that's, that's usually a good sign that you're a, a business geek, that there's something in you that just likes to be entrepreneurial, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah, from a, from a young age, and also it kind of helped. Both my parents were self-employed, um, so uh, I, I think that kind of just sets a path for you. That um, you know, I think if you just go through a regular, if your parents both have jobs and you go to school, you kind of figure, okay, I can go into like uh, you know public service or private sector work, and there you're kind of two choices. Whereas I think having entrepreneurial parents makes you go, or I can do what the fuck I want. Um, you know, it's like number door number three, <laughs> which uh, and I just think in you know, a lot of people they don't find that door for some time you know um whereas for me it was always there and it always it was always the most appealing option you know like so hang on there's an option where i just do what i want yeah i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm taking that one yeah nice i like that so yeah you mentioned deal flow really important um i think your strategy to peek behind the curtain for you is that you have the harbor club something that yep. i probably mentioned in the intro and also in the outro and um 
is is that where you is that a is the back end strategy of that there you get a lot of deal flow from <coughs> students? That- yeah, it's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of accidental. So I started the Harbour Club in two thousand and nine to get rid of people that kept asking me to do consulting for them um, or to be a non exec on their board or something like this. It was like. Uh, um, I was I was busy buying and selling businesses, and people were noticing that their competitors were disappearing for you know not much money, um, and they wanted to do that too. Um, so they would try and employ me to do it, and I just couldn't think of anything more fucking stupid than working for someone and helping them buy a business for a pound. If I found a business for a pound, I just want to buy it myself, you know. So I I, I, I struggled to, to know what to do with these guys, and then I bought a seminar company. So I actually bought a company that does business seminars and, and I watched it and I went, ah, that's the, that's the solution. So I just started doing a seminar and initially I just did it as a way, like I say, to get rid of these people and to get some money from them. You know, it was like, uh, hey, um, I, can, I can trade my experience and my knowledge for some money and everybody's happy. Um, it's a, a much better way than going to work for them. Um, and then uh, what I noticed, I started that in 2009, well, like late 2008, but in 2009, I did 12 deals and like 10 of them came from joint ventures with people that had done the Harbour Club. Um, and I just thought, fuck, this is the answer. This is like, stop treating it like a training business, you know, because I was, I was already getting stuck into training ideas. Like, how do we do an upsell? What do we do here? And I'm like, I hate running businesses and I hate starting businesses. So why go down the route of turning it into a business? Why not just, uh, yeah, use it for deal flow? And what's really interesting is that, you know, the, glo- the, the kind of the world of deal opportunities is kind of like a pyramid. Um, so there are shitloads of distressed companies at the bottom. There's a whole bunch of mid-tier companies that are quite good quality. And we're talking millions of businesses here. So, I mean, I do this, uh, I do the Harbour Club in the US, uh, UK, Singapore, and Australia. But between all of those uh, countries, there's, there's like 15 million businesses that would fit our profile. That's absolutely huge. You could, you could, <clears throat> you know, you could do thousands of them a week and you wouldn't even scratch the surface. So that it's a huge, huge opportunity. Um, but I'm really interested in companies that do a million or more of profit. Um, so my, my bit is come, kind of somewhere near the pointy end of that, uh, that pyramid. So, so basically that means there's a whole bunch of deals out there that I have no interest in doing, but I have all the skills and all the knowledge to do. Um, so the concept is through the Harbour Club, I teach people exactly, I teach them how to do every end of the pyramid, but I teach people exactly how to go and uh, target those types of businesses. We have a community and an app where we support people through those acquisitions. Um, and we're not a training company. So when you go to a normal training course, all they want to do is sell you the upsell, the next thing, the mentoring, the gold, platinum, diamond fucking package or whatever. I hate all that shit. So um, basically with the Harbour Club, you have one price to join. The only thing you can buy from us is a ticket to come again in the future. Um, uh, and you're part of a community where you get free mentoring, free masterminding, free uh, meetups and, uh, and stuff like that. The masterminding is not the blind leading the blind. It's people that have done deals helping people do deals so again with some of the other communities around M&A it's a bunch of people that you know have done training courses on M&A but haven't got the experience or they've done leverage buyout which I mean fuck it there's 300 books on Amazon about how to do leverage buyout it's not a big secret so um, borrow loads of money give it to your star employee so they leave is not a great strategy in my mind Um, so uh, yeah so the Harbour Club just evolved since 2009 uh, into this kind of amazing global community of people that are out there creating you know tons and tons of value doing deals um we've taken two companies public we've done over 20 reverse mergers uh, which is where you take companies public uh, by pushing them into an existing listed company um yeah we're, we're always kind of pushing the boundaries learning new skills and new tactics and uh and sharing them with the community 
Um, so it's a really uh, it's, it's a really unique kind of club um, that people can uh, uh, can come and join. And um, yeah, very different to kind of anything out there. But yeah, the net result of it, I end up doing a bunch of deals with Harbour Club participants who will stumble across a deal. You know, they'll stumble across a business that's doing several million a year in profit. Um, if they feel they're equipped to go and do it themselves, they can go and do it themselves. But if they'd rather be, you know, strapped to me when they jump out of the airplane, um, then they can joint venture with me and we'll do that deal together. And I, I do a lot of those uh, kind of deals. And so it's a very virtuous uh, circle in that way. Um, yeah, nice. I like that. It's, it's actually thinking outside of the box and not just how can I monetize this seminar company, but what is in it for me on the back end? So even with this, for example, with this podcast, the main reason why I'm doing it is for networking because I know that people are going to be listening. Uh, and I have a lot of friends who have, who have uh, yeah, found employees that reach out to them because they listen to their podcast and they found great employees that later on ended up uh, yeah, starting a business, another business together. So it, yeah. I think definitely really interesting to look at what else is in it. And um, one thing that I want people to really get is that this, this, this buying businesses and merchant acquisition, this is not just for people like you who are, uh, yeah, doing this full time buying and selling businesses, but this is for any business. So yeah. it, it's this, something that everyone needs to look into. It's the best way to grow your business. Absolutely. You should look, the only way I know how to double your business tomorrow is, is uh, an acquisition. Um, you know, when I did my first acquisition, we grew by a year's worth of sales in an afternoon and you literally, you can't do that with, you know, the best marketing uh, plan in the world. It's a, uh, it, it's an absolute game changer. And, you know, it's kind of the second engine on the plane, you know, uh, organic growth is one thing, but you've got to have, you've got to have the, you know, that, that extra engine if you really want to get some altitude and, and um, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a complete game changer for me. It was an epiphany. Um, you know, I describe it in one of my um, books as like, uh, I realized you didn't have to run the marathon. You can just run the last 10 yards and they still give you a medal. Um, it was like a really big, uh, a really big moment when I bought my first, um, uh, business and, and it's quite addictive. It's like, it's kind of like, uh, people say, well, you're not really an entrepreneur because you're not creating anything. Um, but actually you're, it's creative problem solving to do a deal where you don't, uh, have to commit any cash up front is, is a creative solution to a, to a problem. And, um, uh, and basically I guess another way to look at it is that I've just made business the product. Um, so, you know, you might, you know, someone might buy and sell websites or, or build and sell websites, I buy and sell companies. Um, and uh, the great thing is that I can buy them for nothing and I can sell them for six or seven figures on a fairly consistent uh, basis. And that affords me a fantastic lifestyle and an awful lot of free time. And I think that beats the shit out of staff and customers. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um it's, it's also a barrier to entry because most people, they wouldn't even consider this and it's, they, they just think, oh no, it's too big of a deal for me. There's so much I need to learn. What if this goes wrong? But if you do it right, yeah, like you said, you can double your business overnight by making yeah. a smart acquisition and you have and one less really, competitor. Yeah, and it's really understanding that asymmetric risk aspect. It's all about how to de-risk on the way in. And, and this is where a lot of people fuck up. So they have their existing business and they just go and try and buy something. And they normally borrow a load of money. Like I say, when you do leverage buyout, you borrow money and you give it to the star employee for them to leave. Um, you know, when you have somebody that's running an entrepreneurial business, they're normally doing the job of three people for the salary of half a person. Um, and then you give them a bunch of money and you tell them to fuck off. Uh, and all of a sudden you're left with a full-time job trying to keep this thing uh, on track. So it's making sure that you de-risk on the way in and making sure that the, the business has that depth of resource or your business has a depth of resource to take over 
uh, the operations and that you don't do it with borrowing and you do it in a way that um, yeah means that if it, all fall, if it all turns to ratchet, you don't lose anything apart from a bit of time, maybe some pride, um, but you can basically uh, walk away from it. And that's easy to do. You know, the, the legal structures all exist to be able to do this very simply. Um, you just have to educate yourself on, on the hows. Yeah, and you might think, the listener might think, oh, okay, this is, sounds like a lot of work, sounds like a part-time job. But uh, I just want to give another example of uh, someone that connected us, Adam Tucker. Uh, so yeah. he, he connected us and he, we, were, we were chatting and he was like, I need to find a good marketer. I need to find someone that is, you know, the, and have the systems. So he's actually looking into buying a marketing agency now or just mm-hmm. considering that as an idea because you don't just get the people that are running the systems, but also the systems. And yeah, instead of just hiring someone, hiring a marketer and building all the systems yourself, you can have that as a pre-packaged product, so to speak. So you've bought another business and you have the service for free pretty much. Yeah. And then um, also exactly. not do it. I mean, there's that initial blood, sweat and years that goes into a startup that you never get back. You know, there's two to three years where you're just pushing shit uphill. Um, and with a with an M&A transaction, you get rid of that whole, you know, how many three, you know, when you're young, maybe you think oh, I've got lots of three years ahead of me. But if you can circumvent those those three year steps, it's so much better. And, and you've already got customers, you've already got revenue. You know, even if you want to do something different, maybe you've got some amazing digital marketing idea buying an existing marketing agency and then injecting that idea into it surely is better than trying to start from scratch and find people and premises and a logo and a brand and a website and all that shit. You know, I mean, it was great fun at the time. And I think a startup is a rite of passage. I think you have to do it, you know, to get it, uh, get the experience and get it out of your system and feel that buzz that you get from doing it. But if you do it again, I think you're a fucking masochist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same. I've, you know, built my first business and now I'm, I'm realizing, okay, I hate running businesses and I hate sitting in front of a laptop and doing the menial stuff. I'm, I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I like to interact with people. I'm, I'm, I believe I'm good with people skills and uh, I would like to be able to, okay, bring the different resources together, bring the people together that can implement it. So I definitely wanted to ask you because you, you are part of the club. You also don't like running businesses. Um, mm-hmm. How do you find the right people? And for example, a CEO or a, a really key person that, um, yeah, that, that takes over a company or a part of the company. Yeah. So um, when, uh, whenever, well, Whenever I have a business that's mine, I normally uh, um, succession plan through merger. So merging with another company to, to get the management team in that can run the business. Um, but the other thing is in all my businesses, I, t- I try to behave like a shareholder. Um, so instead of trying to constantly get operationally involved in stuff, um, more focus on what the outcomes are and what the plan is to get to those outcomes and uh, and view it like that. And, and actually, um, I'm not very actively involved in, in, any of, uh, in any of my businesses, even the Harbour Club, which is quite a big... Uh, business now in its own right, I pretty much turn up and speak. Um, so the Harbour Club team deals with the marketing, it fills the rooms. Um, uh, they sometimes send me a list of content that they would quite like me to record either on you know audio or video or something like that, that I'll uh, send back to them. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I pretty much just turn up and, and, and speak and then participate in the community because obviously participating in the community is more my day job, which is doing deals. Um, so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm really, really hands off in that um, uh, that business and, and and give people an awful lot of latitude as to what they uh, um, you know what they do there and then the the the, the M and A business the private equity company um, Unity Group um, you know we're taking companies public and we're doing deals but I really focus on the doing deals end of that so my I see my job as sourcing and acquiring the companies that will go into uh, the public companies that we're listing 
um, but I don't get that involved in the uh, yeah the operational day to day um, uh, bit of it. I'm more of a yeah a shareholder than a than a manager. So when you buy a business or you merge with a business, then you take over the stuff from that business, and they've already they're already running themselves. Mm-hmm. My my goal, yeah, exactly. And my goal is to not be a holder of those shares for very long. Um, so the you know the when we talk about the distressed M and A um, in um, Harbour Club, we normally have a four month time horizon from entry to exit. Um, so we want to buy it, and four months later we want to sell it. Now that's an ideal; it doesn't always work, um, and sometimes you end up stuck with them for nine to twelve months. But that's the that's the goal, basically. The the um, rebalancing of the company, the financial engineering stuff, is basically a hundred day plan, um, and then after that you're selling. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, it's, the idea is to hold it for as little time as possible. Now, of course, that's how we teach it on the Harbour Club. What people then go and do um, is entirely up to them. So some people use it to sell their own business or to financially re-engineer their own business or to um, acquire a competitor. So they might use it for different reasons. But the, the concept is you buy and you sell um, in a relatively short space of time, create those capital events. And you also don't take care, let's, let's say um, someone leaves their job in one of those companies and it's a key person, uh, you also don't take care of that. You have someone that then hires someone new to put in that position. Well, so again, if it was, uh, if it was like the CEO or somebody that was really uh, instrumental in that business, then I would look to merge it with another company in the same sector to give the management uh, control that way. Um, so you just become a shareholder in something bigger. Wow. Okay. So you, when you said that uh, you solve every problem by, buying another company and merging it with another company you actually mean it. i really do yeah if it, like give me anything divorce wars anything I'll, I'll find a way to buy a company and solve the problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's your one that's your one skill right that's your well, it's funny i sat around with a group of friends we were on we we're on a yacht actually in in mallorca and um one of them was a, a digital marketing guy one of them was a seminar guy and and me and pretty much whatever problem you could come up with this guy would build a squeeze page and do Google ads. This guy would fill a room full of people and pitch them and I'd go buy a company. I mean, like any, any problem you could think of, we all have our one size fits all solution to that problem. And we're, you know, people just have that go-to um, thing that they do. So, and th- that's the wonderful thing about business. There's no right or wrong. There's only opinions and there's only people's experiences of what works. And the fascinating thing about business is that nothing really does work in the way that you expect it to. So you do need to learn from, um, experience. Uh, it's not something, it doesn't follow logic. In fact, I often joke the day I knew the most about business was the day I started, you know, because you're, you're so convinced, you know, how everything fucking works until you try stuff and it doesn't work. And then uh, that's, that's your, that's your real education is uh, just realizing how fucking difficult it is. Yeah. Um, one more thing that was on my mind that I wanted to ask you um, was that um, you said, you have to lose your, your deal virginity if you're getting started in this. So it's just about, okay, kind of like doing it for the first time. So how would you actually go about uh, helping someone get started? For example, let's yeah. say you recently had an exit. Um, you have 300K in the bank um, and uh, you, you want to put that somewhere. You want to put that into index funds or whatever. Or, but maybe you also want to buy a business to have something on the side. It brings you more cash flow. Um, how would you never stick never stick money into a business so do not stick that 300 grand anywhere near a business or it'll be uh, the fool and his money are easily parted you know that whole uh, that whole thing so gotcha. um, yeah, the, the funds should be invested in something that generates real passive uh, income so not something where you have to go and fix toilets or uh, 
uh, employ people or do marketing or anything like that. So um, yeah, forget forget the three hundred grand bit. But yeah, definitely go try and buy a business. Um, and you know, the easiest way is go and buy and then sell a business and create another capital event, create another three hundred grand, but without all the blood, sweat, and years that went into creating the first three hundred grand. So that would be my first bit of advice. And the the the, the challenge is, I think people have a paradigm in their mind that you have to pay to buy a business. And, and so the first thing you have to do is you have to break that paradigm um, because otherwise you can't really move forwards. And the best way to do that is by doing a deal. Um, once you've done a deal, you will just have that confidence and that ability and that reference point because whether you subconsciously or consciously reference that deal, you'll find it coming up in conversations in the future. So once you've done that deal, it makes it so much easier to do the second deal. And, and I know it sounds facetious to say that the catalyst to doing your second deal is doing your first deal because, of course, you know, uh, chronologically, you have to do <laughs> the first one first. But it really is. I mean, literally, once you, it's, uh, you know, there's so many, uh, um, it's such a good, virginity is such a good analogy, actually, because once you've done it once, you do it loads of times in quite a short space of time after that. So you get kind of deal promiscuous. The other thing that's very similar to breaking your virginity is the first one isn't always exactly what you targeted. You know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily, you know, you might set out to buy a business that looks like this and it has all these attributes, but you end up doing a deal that's a kind of a little bit off, uh, off piste over here. And, and, but that's not a bad thing because that's the catalyst to doing the second one, which might be a bit more like uh, what you were expecting. So um, getting that first deal done is really, really important. And so therefore, what I try and encourage people to do is to try and create a path of least resistance to doing that first deal. And the easiest way to do that is if you're a consultant or if you, do, if you deliver some sort of service for someone, why not take a sweat equity stake in a business um, you know, for, for delivering some kind of value? So whether that's a 20%, 30% stake in a business in exchange for doing something. So instead of charging for consultancy, take equity for consultancy. Um, and then basically sell, once you've added that value, sell the whole business. So you get your 30% share, they get the other 70%. Um, we actually have a strategy on the Harbour Club that's really sexy for doing this, which um, uh, in most cases, when you do this, you end up selling your 30% back to the original owner. Um, and we have a really neat little structure for doing that. So effectively, you can get in three to four months of fixing stuff and then sell it back to the owner for kind of six figures um, for that uh, uh, for that stake. So it's... Um, uh, that would be, and, and also when you're doing this, you can also do a risk reversal. So you can say, look, I'm going to take a 20, 30% stake. I'm going to solve this, this, and this problem for you. And then we're going to sell the thing together, or you can buy me out, you know, using the, the fact that the company is now profitable. It'd be easier for you to you know, borrow money to buy me out effectively. Um, and, uh, and you can say, and if I haven't achieved X, Y, and Z by this period of time, you can buy the 30% back off me for a, for a dollar. So you risk nothing. There's only upside, you know, try and make it as win-win as possible. And as, as least resistance as possible and just get that dirty little simple deal done um, once you've done that first one you'll just have so much more confidence than going into something bigger or more complex or um, you know buying a whole company or, or you know, whatever it is um, and then the other thing I, I guess is you know without blowing my own trumpet is get educated on the topic you know learn as much as you can about the subject um, we push tons and tons of free content out all the time um, you know if you get on our autoresponder i think we've got like two years of content we'll keep pumping at you um so uh you know there's tons of stuff that you can learn we have a free report on our website you can download that's that gives you some sourcing ideas and some deal structures that you can use so there's there's a lot of stuff that we put out there um so you know just try and learn the learn the topic um and uh yeah go, go and have a go i mean I, I started literally just banging my head against the wall um so you know, I, I did it without doing the, you know, any education or the Harbour Club or anything like that. Um, but fuck me, I would have liked to have done the Harbour Club 20 years ago. 
<laughs> yeah, and you would then you would have bought it probably. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of mistakes have gone into the uh, into the education program. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've got the report that you talked about that you can get on your website, and it's really, yeah, it's really good. There's a lot of stuff in there, and um, I sat down for an afternoon and went through it and took notes, and um, yeah, I can definitely recommend that. Uh, for people to check it out, they want to know more. Uh, what do you think, how many deals you should be looking at for your first deal? Not to look at too many to overthink stuff, but also not to go for the first one and fall in love. And also, um, how big do you think that deal should be? Could it be really small? So you just for a yeah, so mindset, so you don't feel yeah, like you're anything? Yeah, the target we tend to go for. So we, we tend to go for more than half a million in revenue just because then it's a real business. It's not like a one-man band or you know, one customer or one staff member centric. Um, so half a million and up is a really good plan. Above about five million in revenue, it starts to get a little bit competitive with other potential uh, buyers. So kind of half a million to five million is pretty virgin. There's not really anybody else in there. When you talk to them, of course, they'll say they've got 15 people trying to buy them right now for cash, um, but they're, they're all liars. There are literally no buyers out there. Um, you will be the only game in town in, in nine out of 10 um, situations. Um, uh, but they will, of course, tell you that they're, you know, everybody wants to buy them, but it's bollocks. Um, so, uh, yeah, half a million to five million is a good kind of uh, uh, range. Um, expect, as a beginner, expect to have about 20 meetings before you get a deal done. Um, and, you know, th these will be qualified face-to-face, -face, kind of good, or over you know, Zoom, um, good quality uh, um, companies that have a problem that needs to be solved. But, yeah, expect, to, expect when you get better to maybe hitting one in 10, but one in 20 as a beginner. Um, you should be able to turn into a deal. And if you can't turn it into a deal, there will basically be a part of the process that you're getting stuck at. Um, and, uh, you know, in the Harbour Club, we run through a, a process and there's normally one place where everybody, as a beginner, um, tends to find they, they, they hit a bit of traffic. So what we normally recommend in those scenarios is that they, they partner up with somebody that complements that particular skill set. Um, just to, again, break that deal virginity and get that first deal done. And then they can learn from that other person how they deal with that aspect of the transaction um, and, uh, and then hopefully be able to go solo uh, in the future when they've got a bit more confidence. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's about mastering that kind of process from start to finish. Interesting. All right. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend people check out the report that you have on your website to... Yeah, get some more information, learn more about you, who you are. And um, you do uh, an event twice a year? or Yeah, so we do, we do uh, a couple in Singapore every year. We do four in the, in the UK and we do three in the US every year. Um, and next year, we're doing the first one in, uh, in Sydney, Australia. Um, we've, had quite a few we've had quite a few Australians come to Singapore and do it. And we've had a few deals in Australia. So it kind of makes sense to get, build a bit of a community there because... Um, a lot of the value in the Harbour Club is having people to play with. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that, that works best when you, yeah, when there's other other people in the area. Nice. Wow. So it's a lot of events. Um, yeah, people can. Yeah, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not too bad. It's uh, we do them at weekends, so it takes up one one working day, the Friday, um, and then it's a three day uh, course. So at the moment, yeah, I give up maybe yeah nine ten days a year to to do Harbour Clubs. Yeah. Nice. So people can check that out as well. Are there any other places where people can check out more about what you do um, or reach out? Um, to yeah, you? they can look at uh, uh, Twitter, Jeremy J. Harbour or on LinkedIn, Jeremy Harbour, um, or obviously the, uh, the website, harbourclubevents.com um, or harbourclubusa.com. Um, and it's Harbour spelled the English way. So H-A-R-B-O-U-R. 
Um, and uh, yeah, like I say, there's tons of free content. You can download the free report there. Um, yeah, uh, I think just Googling around, you'll find lots of uh, lots of stuff as well. So with lots of articles in various places, Forbes and Inc and Entrepreneur and all the usual suspects um, that you can go and read with different ideas about, uh, about the whole uh, sector. Well, this has been really insightful. Uh, I've learned a lot and I think the listeners have as well. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Great to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, then please subscribe to this podcast right now and leave a review on iTunes, which would help us massively. And if you consider yourself a high performer and you're already running a successful business and you're passionate about holistic growth in every area of life, then you can apply to join our carefully curated group on Facebook for guys like you and me. And when I say carefully curated, I actually mean it because I screen everybody personally and jump on a call with them to see if they're the right fit. And in these calls, I ask myself questions like, first of all, do they know what they talk about? And do they have a level of success that proves it? For example, they're running a successful business or they have some other sort of success that proves, okay, these are interesting guys. They have some value to share. Secondly, are they passionate about growing in every area of their life? That means health and fitness, relationships, relationships with women, finances, spirituality, all that cool stuff. And thirdly, are they self-aware and generally cool guys we'd want to hang out with uh, that also share similar values. And uh, basically what we do is we facilitate mastermind calls where we chat every week or bi-weekly to talk about challenges, help each other out and lift each other up, which is also all 100% free. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, a group where you get access to a peer group that will lift you up and make it easy and fun to constantly level up because ultimately you are who you surround yourself with. And uh, as you know as well, it's lonely as you're moving up. But here you're around people who are on the same path. They're also crazy ambitious and they understand the specific challenges that you go through. So it's also a safe space where you can talk about anything here. And uh, you ask yourself, okay, what's the catch? Because you can't jump on a call with everyone. Uh, it's not scalable, but yeah, I know it is not meant to be scaled. It's a highly curated group. And again, we actually mean that because... Ultimately, it's my selfish desire to surround myself with like-minded winners. And uh, the way it works is, so far, you've only gotten in through referrals, through current members. If someone referred you, then you can get in. But uh, now you can actually apply. So you can send us an application. And uh, as I said, it's 100% free for now. And uh, yeah, we just want to get some great guys together. So our current members are six to seven figure business owners they are currently exiting their business they're just running their business we want to grow it or we even have some guys who are interested in buying businesses now so uh yeah it's just a bunch of interesting dudes all have different strengths and help each other out in the areas that they're lacking in and uh we have a ton of fun on these weekly calls and i always leave inspired and thinking bigger just like everyone else in the group and uh, yeah, I'm just super pumped for it. I always love these calls. So if you think you're one of us, then please head over to www.wearecollectiveambition.com slash apply. So that's www.wearecollectiveambition. That's just one word, dot com slash apply. And I'll see you on there.